and welcome to Twigged. A lighthearted plant-based podcast exploring the vegetal roots of history and folklore. What'll kill you and what makes a decent snack. I'm Alex. I like plants and history and stories. Hi, I'm Alice and I am a plant enthusiast. Alright, so this week, what have we got? Myrtle. Myrtle. Uh, so I know very little about Myrtle. This it's is in here. Yeah. It's which is fun because we tend to do plants that I come across either on the daily or am fairly familiar with. And this one is a listener suggestion coming from Ben. And I've learned so many things I did not know before. Yeah, yeah, same here. I didn't really know anything about Myrtle before doing this research. So it was fun to learn lots of things. I'm now obsessed with it. Yeah. There's Myrtus communis, which is common Myrtle, native to the Mediterranean and Southern Europe. And Myrtus nivelle, which is the Saharan Myrtle, native to North Africa. So the myrtle that we're talking about today is the common myrtle, otherwise called true myrtle. Yeah, which is quite a Eurocentric take on it. Yeah. (laughs) So the myrtle is categorised as an evergreen shrub or even like a small tree. And it's got little bright green pointed leaves and they're kind of like teardrop shaped and beautiful white flowers with these amazing little sort of starburst-like, are they stamens? Yeah, stamens. Because I've never seen that number of stamens on a flower before, and they look so cool. Yeah, they're kind of longer than the actual flower. I feel like normally there's flower and and then the stamens are secondary, whereas this is like, the flower pales in comparison to its stamens. Like the petals yeah. are not the point. They kind of They're make like, it look fluffy. Yeah. Or like tiny little fireworks. Oh, yeah. That's such a good description. Like little white fireworks. Yeah. And I read quite a few places that the berries are like a dark purple. But I saw pictures of myrtle with white berries. So is that just unripe berries? No, so I think that's a rare kind of myrtle. So both can be used to make the liqueur myrto. And oh. the majority of it is made with the, the more common purple black ones, but yeah. which is uh, red myrto. And you can also get white myrto, which is made with the rarer white ones. Yeah. Yeah, that's a common liqueur that they make in Sardinia and Corsica. Oh, wow. I'd never heard of that liqueur. It's macerated berries from the myrtle plants, and it sounds great, and I really want some. (laughs) I was reading it going, yes, that sounds wonderful. So many things we have to try now after doing research for this. And that brings, well, I think I've already accidentally careened us into Can You Eat It? Yes. Yes. Apparently you can use myrtle leaves like in place of bay leaves for flavour. So you might not want to eat them, but you could like put them into a stew and then take them out at the end. And then I also saw that if a recipe calls for myrtle leaves, but you can't find any, you could replace them with a mixture of allspice, crushed juniper berries and black pepper. So that gives you an idea of like the kinds of flavours that you would get. From the leaves, that that is. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, from the leaves. Yeah, because I saw that the dried berries can be used instead of pepper. 
Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That sounds fun. There's a recipe for baked figs where you string the myrtle leaves between them. And so you're not actually putting them in anything, but they kind of bake next to the figs and infuse them with some of the flavor. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. I found quite a lot about its use in medicine historically, which is cool. The Saharan myrtle was used quite a lot in traditional Tuareg medicine. And ancient Greek and Arabic medical writers wrote quite a bit about the myrtle, and it was used in ancient days to relieve fever and pain as well. And that's more than 4,500 years ago is what I found. Oh, wow. Yeah. And apparently it's not entirely without scientific base. Yeah. So it contains salicylic acid, which is related to aspirin. And also, I recognize the name salicylic acid, and I realize that you put salicylic acid on warts as well to get rid of them. So I don't know if there's ever been anything about putting myrtle on warts. But I'm going to spread that rumor and get people to do some (laughs) weird stuff. I'm really bad advice with Alex. (laughs) (laughs) I've become a real fan of encouraging people to tie plants to themselves in the hopes that it'll relieve them of their ailments. You should see me. I look like a tree at all times now. <laughs> Got a potato on my head, some myrtle on my foot, <laughs> and it might work. <laughs> Give it a try. Uh, I have a bit more about medicine, unless you've yeah, got some rich. stuff you want to inject. Hey, no medicine pun. Ooh, inject fun. <laughs> no, you go for it. So the the pain killing has some basis in possible science. On the flip side of that, it used to be used for sinus infections, which does not really have any verified truth to it according to modern medicine it was also used in ancient egypt and assyria for antiseptic and anti-inflammatory properties apparently myrtle is considered an aphrodisiac i think because the flowers have a really beautiful smell and even though i haven't actually smelt it i heard that it smells a bit like allspice and the myrtle oils are used for fragrance in perfumes and soups sometimes and the juice of the berries used to be used as an ink. Oh, wow. Which I thought was pretty cool. It was spread outside of the Mediterranean region by the Romans because they really liked to plant it in their gardens. Partly because it's ornamental and it smells incredible, and partly because it had strong associations with tradition and mythology. So they brought it across their empire, including to Britain. But it seems to have not lasted very long here because the climate's not very nice. So <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't stay until the 16th century. They brought it back. And there's a letter that someone found from Lord Burley, who was the advisor to Queen Elizabeth I, asking for someone to bring back lemon, pomegranate, and a myrtle with instructions on how to tend to them from, I think, a posting that they had abroad. So they clearly weren't very common here if they needed instruction on how to keep them alive. Yeah. Could you grow it in a greenhouse, maybe? Yeah. So after that, it became quite a popular plant to have, but you did have to either bring it in in the winter or keep it in a greenhouse. And and then it became really popular in the Victorian era, which I was going to say we could get to later, but actually we could talk about it now. Great, yeah. So Queen Victoria went to visit Albert, her husband's grandmother in Gotha, and his grandmother gave Victoria some myrtle when they were there. 
And Victoria loved this plant. She thought it was beautiful. She planted it at their home on the Isle of Wight, Osborne House. And from that plant came the sprig that went into her daughter, also named Victoria's wedding bouquet. And then the tradition began, and lots of brides of the royal family have had sprigs from this Osborne House myrtle. And at the time, the language of flowers was a big deal during the Victorian era. And myrtle flowers symbolize innocence, purity, fidelity, and mostly love. It's um, it's interesting that it has, or it had that kind of symbolism then, because the ancient Greeks had completely different associations with it. True, although it was strongly associated with Aphrodite, who is the goddess of love. Just different types of love, yeah. <laughs> uh, not quite as pure, innocent, and sweet as the Victorian ideal. yeah. Yeah, I found a couple of stories relating to Aphrodite with Myrtle. Oh, cool. So there's one sort of tiny tidbit. It's the story of Herostratus. So Herostratus was embarking on a on a journey by sea. And before he left, he bought a small figurine of Aphrodite to take with him. And then when his ship got caught in a storm, the crew prayed to the little figurine for help. And their prayers were answered. The sun came out. Some myrtle branches just started growing out of the boat, and the ship ended up completely covered in myrtle, which must have smelled amazing. Oh, wow. And they managed to make it safely to shore. And once they got to shore, he brought the little figurine and the myrtle branches to the Temple of Aphrodite to honor her. So how did the myrtle save them from drowning at sea? I don't think the myrtle did save them. I think Aphrodite made the sun come out and the storm go away and the myrtle was just bonus. Oh, okay. That was like <laughs> the the symbol to say, like, look, I've saved it's you. It's me. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Well, I, I feel like Aphrodite is one of the gods who doesn't like to go unnoticed. She doesn't want you to be like, oh, well, maybe the sun just came out. She was like, no, no, I'm going to cover your boat in myrtle branches so that you know that this is no weather accident. This was me. Yeah, a big you owe me yeah. announcement. <laughs> um, so this is Aphrodite being really nice. Yeah. I do have a flip side story to this. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, let's hear that. So it's this is kind of an awful story. If anyone listening doesn't want to hear a story that involves incest, maybe fast forward a little bit. Have we had incest before on this podcast? I don't think so, but maybe. Which is quite surprising, the amount that it pops up in... In the Greek um, myths, yeah. In the Greek myths. Yeah, it's all over the place. But I think this is more overt. Like, you get in Greek myths, like, gods who are brothers and sisters getting together. But this one's, like, more real. Um, oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, Mira is the daughter of the king and queen of Cyprus. So, the story goes that either she didn't honor Aphrodite the way Aphrodite wants to be honored, or her mother boasted that Mira was more beautiful than Aphrodite, which, as we know, is something that Aphrodite does not appreciate. Oh, no. So, she got really angry and cursed Mira with an insatiable lust for her own father. Oh, no. Yeah, it's not great. Mira found this so upsetting that she tried to end her own life. But her nurse discovered her and convinced her to stay alive. And even in the end, in her attempts to keep Mira alive, uh, promised to help her get into her father's bed. 
Oh. Yeah. So they're trying to figure out how to make that happen. And some time passes. And then it's the time of a festival that celebrates Demeter. And for this festival, all the married women had to stay away from their husbands' bedrooms. And I'm not entirely sure why. I don't know if it was like a sleepaway festival and they would go elsewhere and not be around or if they just weren't supposed to and would stay in their own bedrooms. I'm not sure what the deal was. But anyway, the king's bed was going to be devoid of his wife for a while. So the nurse went to the king and told him that there was a young noblewoman who really wanted to sleep with him, but she was quite shy and she didn't want him to know who she was, so she needed the room to be completely dark to protect her identity. And he was like, great. So Mira snuck into her father's room under cover of darkness for 12 nights. And then on the last night... No way. Way. (laughs) And I thought once was going to be enough. <laughs> no, insatiable desire, Alice. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, it's awful. Uh, and on the last night, he was curious as to who she was. So he lit a lamp and saw his own daughter there. Oh, my God. Which he was understandably very upset. Less understandably, he wanted to kill her. But she escaped and she ran away. And for nine months, she evaded capture. But then exhausted and pregnant, she pleaded with the gods for mercy because she didn't want to be killed, but she also didn't want to live and she just wanted out. So the gods, and in some stories it's Aphrodite and sometimes it just says the gods, finally took pity on her and they turned her into a myrtle tree. And in some stories it's a myrtle tree, but we're going to ignore that because that doesn't fit in with the theme of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So once she became a tree... Out of this myrtle tree was born Adonis, who Aphrodite, in turn, once he grew up, became infatuated and in love with. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the intensely grim, but I thought very interesting story about Mira and the myrtle. Yeah. I mean, I suppose maybe they chose a myrtle tree to turn her into because of its associations with female sexuality and fertility but then it's all really negative as well so I don't know if that's why it's almost like historically female sexuality hasn't been almost yeah it's almost like that Uh, yeah, it could have also been the myrtle tree because it was sacred to Aphrodite and this was all kind of like Aphrodite's mess. Yeah. There's a, and she's not the only person in Greek mythology who gets turned into a myrtle tree. There's another story really quickly about yeah. a nymph called Myrcene who dares join a race against Athena and says so a punishment, Athena just turns her into a myrtle bush, which is oh, yeah. like, I don't even know if she won the race. She just showed up and Athena was like, no, (laughs) Bush. (laughs) Oh, that makes me want to be a goddess. I've had enough of you. You can be a Bush from now on. (laughs) Get out of my sight. (laughs) I, I don't have a story, but I do have a poem. Oh, please. Um, I don't know where we might fit it in. And to be perfectly honest, I don't know what it means. Um, (laughs) I read it and then I was like, maybe you will know. Okay, I'll try. Okay, so this is an activity 
This is Return to School with Twigged. We're all going to listen to a poem and then talk about what it means. And then everyone submit your papers to twiggedpodcast at gmail.com and we will mark them. We will mark them generously. Okay. So this is In a Myrtle Shade by William Blake. To a lovely myrtle bound, blossoms showering all around. Oh, how sick and weary I, underneath my myrtle lie, like to dung upon the ground, underneath my myrtle bound. So he's resting under under the myrtle tree, like a turd? Yeah. <laughs> like a turd, <laughs> like to dung upon the ground. And I don't know why he's sick and weary. I think he's tired. He Maybe it's after a journey and he's found a myrtle tree and then he's like thrown himself on the ground under it and it's it's lovely and he's a piece of shit. Maybe, yeah. That's I my mean, interpretation. I think you're right. Do you, give us a couple more verses. Okay. Why should I be bound to thee, O my lovely myrtle tree? Love, free love, cannot be bound to any tree that grows on ground. Oft my myrtle sighed in vain to behold my heavy chain. Oft the priest beheld, my father saw us sigh and laughed at our simplicity. That doesn't rhyme. Um, so I smote him and his gore, stained the roots my myrtle bore, but the time of youth is fled and grey hairs are on my head. Oh, so it's about marriage and being bound to marriage. I think it's to do with myrtle being a symbol of love, but then like how you shouldn't be bound to, maybe you're not meant to be tied down in love and also he's getting old. Great. I think. <laughs> I'm glad somebody knows what's going on. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing. All right, everyone else, people who are actually good at poetry, send us an email. I've really enjoyed your poem, Alice. Oh, thanks, Alex. Oh, so a random connection to Myrtle and poetry. This is a bit of a tenuous link, but I'll go for it and see what happens. We love a tenuous um, link at Twigged. <laughs> So as you were saying, because of its connection to love and fertility, etc., myrtle floral crowns were worn by brides and grooms on their wedding day. But they also wove myrtle into garlands. And sometimes these were worn to like banquets, sacrifices, but they were also presented as prizes to athletes and poets and anyone else you might have who had accomplished something and was to a prize. That's awesome. So I thought that was fun. I don't know if William Blake would have got a prize for his moral poem or not. <laughs> I cannot tell you how much I want someone to give me a garland made out of myrtle now. Yeah. I feel like, in my mind, it smells heavenly and when you have it on your head, it makes you feel like a god. Um, yeah. Maybe if I get married one day, I'll have a floral crown made out of myrtle and then I'll smell like allspice and then everyone will just think of, you know, hot cross buns and you'll have to <laughs> who have doesn't like that? All the plants that we that we've learned are related to love and marriage. Like you'll have rosemary. Yeah. And myrtle. And we will do other episodes and learn what else you will have at your wedding. Yeah, I'll be like a big walking bouquet garni. <laughs> We'll have to work potatoes in there somehow, for sure. Naturally. Um, 
I have one last story and then I have nothing. I have a story from the Aeneid. Uh, so we're kind okay. of, it's still in the Greco-Roman pantheon, but Roman. So it's a tiny little portion of the Aeneid. But uh, there's a moment when Aeneas lands in Thrace. And he begins to build an altar to start offering sacrifices to the gods, which I think is something you were meant to do if you were sort of an explorer, adventurer. When you got somewhere, you, you know, took your time to say, thank you, I got here safe. Cheers, thanks very much. Please let the next one be the same. So he's preparing an altar and he begins to clear away some myrtle and the bush begins to bleed. Obviously, this is surprising and shocking. And then... There's blood everywhere, and a voice speaks, saying that he is Polydorus, who's been murdered by the Thracian king, Polymester, and he warns Aeneas not to stay in this place with such a treacherous king. So Polydorus was the youngest son of Priam, who was the king of Troy, and during the Trojan War, Polydorus was sent to Thrace to be protected by his brother-in-law, Polymester. And his dad sent him there with lots of gold so that he could not be a burden on on Polymaster, but when the Trojans were defeated by the Greeks, led by Agamemnon, Polymaster, wanting to be on the winning side, turned on Polydorus, ordered him killed, and then took all of the gold that he brought with him. So when Polydorus was killed, the spears that they killed him with became myrtle plants and grew out of the ground that he was buried in, which makes sense because the leaves are in the shape of little tiny spears. Yeah, oh, that's so cool. They do look, they are perfectly spear-shaped, and they're, I think, quite firm based on the photos. Yeah. So Aeneas then gives Polydorus a proper burial and leaves Thrace very quickly, not wanting to experience the same hospitality that befell Polydorus at the hands of Polymester. It's very confusing that it's Polydorus and Polymester, very similar names. Yeah, and every time you said the word Polymester inside my head, I just went, <laughs> Polyester. <laughs> <laughs> So it's really hard to concentrate on that story. So that's that's us for this week. That's Myrtle, the enchanting plant that we've never encountered. Our website is twiggedpodcast.com. And if you'd like to email us with any questions or comments or suggestions for next time, our email address is twiggedpodcast at gmail.com. On Instagram, we are at Twigged Podcast, and that's all the ways to get in touch with us. Great. Great. Thank you so much for listening to Twigged. Bye. Bye. <laughs> um, I make no guarantees, though, for seeing ghosts. You made me a promise. <laughs> I'm going to have to, like, throw a sheet over me and dance around in an old dusty window so that you don't go home disappointed I will buy a ticket to Ireland for that alone (laughs) be running through the garden late at night making ghosty noises and you'll be like shit why did I come here I've come here with a mad woman (laughs) 